This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 634 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, Total Saddle Fit, and the Murdoch Method. On this week's show, we are joined by young rider gold medalist Christian Simonson. After that, HRN auditor Andrew helps us review The Girl and the Dancing Horse by Charlotte Dujardin, followed by our favorite monthly guest, Wendy Murdoch, and then Reese and I will talk about noseband tightness. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. Hey, Reese. How is it going? It is going. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's going. Uh, we have another super busy week here. We've had kind of three really, really jam-packed uh, weeks. So uh, this week coming, we have our Kentucky championships or one of them. And so we've got another group of horses going there, which is super fun. So there's a team competition. So my team is with a very good friend of mine, a couple of good friends of mine. And uh, our team name is, it's really called Stressage. That's our team name. So there's Stressage. Yep. There's a team competition. (laughs) Yep. And uh, then the local championships on Sunday. So Big Mike is getting called back up. He gets to go and party a little bit this weekend. So it should be really fun. That's awesome. I know that uh, today I shipped in to our last show of the season. Seems like we just started. (laughs) A little bit sad about that. So, but... You know, we've only got so much good weather left up here in the north, so uh, we're going to take advantage of it, and uh, I'm going to be competing in the fourth level, and yeah, I think it'll be fun. It'll be awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit busy with you showing and me showing and yep. uh, <laughs> getting out there and, and doing the stuff. So, if you see us around, say hi. Say hi. Uh, you know, need it. We love, love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's this time of year, and Phil, that this show is pretty close to your, your home, isn't it? Uh, no, this one's a, it's about, well, I mean, it's all relative, but it's about an hour away. So I drive okay. back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes it a long week for sure. Um, yeah, my, my, the horse show is at the horse park, so it's really close to us. So, uh, it's really fun. And, uh, it's, it's nice for us here because at this particular competition, I bring, uh, Mike home. I don't, I don't, I just trailer in. Yeah. Yeah. So trailer in, it, yeah. yeah. That's just really nice. He's actually pretty good about that. That's a skill. Um, my horses didn't used to have that skill. They used to have to go and stay at the horse show. Uh, but now I do more hauling in. So it sometimes is an issue when we go stay at the horse show. So, you know, I don't know, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, I can't yeah. win. Never, never um, perfect. Never no, perfect. <laughs> no, it's not. It's certainly easier when you know, obviously for, from a staffing standpoint and it's, we have it down to a science. We leave an hour before we are supposed to get on. Um, which works out really well. So we get on and go do the horse show and come back, which is really fun. So, all right. Well, yeah. good luck to you uh, too. Stressage, team, team stressage. Stressage. Yes, exactly. Team stressage. Uh, yeah. So it should be, it should be a fun, this is just a fun show. It's um, I find too. And I think you're, you're like, you were saying your season short. I find the more I'm in the ring on a, 
fairly consistent basis, the better I am as as a competition uh, rider. That's, so that's pretty much in in general, right? You know, mm-hmm. but, uh, the the more you do it, the more you get used to doing it, and and maybe next season we'll have a full season, you know, know. kind of April to September, and uh, yeah, get back to our normal routine and and stuff like that. So. Right, uh, right. At least you were able to show, you know, at least this year we yeah, didn't have a completely a yeah. quiet year. Yeah. yeah. So, all good things. I love it. Well, we have a great show for everybody today. We hope you're going to enjoy our guests as much as we enjoyed uh, doing them. And, and we're reviewing our book club. I really enjoyed this book. So I'm sad that I'm sad that it's over, but we're going to uh, have another book here soon that we will announce for our book club. Everyone really likes it. And if there is a book you want us to review, send us an email. We always like it. So We're going to get started after this commercial break with Christian Simonson. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Managing horses can be challenging. Each horse's personality affects the way he behaves and reacts to the world around him. Horses with certain dispositions can be at higher risk for developing health problems than others. High-strung or excitable horses are easily stressed, but so is the timid, quiet warrior. Stressed horses are more likely to develop digestive upsets that lead to colic, diarrhea, and ulcers. Nalox Advanced was specifically developed to support a digestive tract that is under stress. It sustains proper pH levels, reducing the incidence of ulcers and hindgut imbalances, while simultaneously supporting the healing of damaged tissues. Nalox Advanced supports the complete digestion of starches and sugars and sustains populations of beneficial bacteria. Make life a little easier on your sensitive horse and start him on Nalox Advanced today. To learn more about the ingredients in Nalox Advanced, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Well, tonight we are so excited to have Christian Simonson. He is the individual gold medalist from the North American Young Rider Championship. He also was the winner of the Festival of Champions in the Young Rider Division. Christian, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, you were such a good sport. I grabbed you right before I think I was like pulling out of festival and I said, I can't wait to have you on the podcast. So it's great now that we're all home and got to take a deep breath. Yes, definitely. No, I'm I'm so happy to to be here, and uh, it's great great to talk to you now that we're all kind of settled in and uh, finished after a month of traveling. (laughs) And cooled off, for sure. (laughs) That was quite a hot week. (laughs) So, Christian, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and about your horse as well. Uh, So, I was born in uh, Ventura uh, in California, which is just kind of a small, beachy town. Um, and I grew up riding in Ojai, which is about 20 minutes away from uh, where I was born, up in the mountains. And I just kind of started riding there as a little kid um, with my sister doing quarter horses and riding ponies. And um, I did jumping for a bit. And then I met a really, really great trainer named Gail Hoff Carmona. And she kind of got me started in dressage. Um, and she made it really, really fun and exciting when I was little, putting me on the lunge line, letting me you know, do around the world, all the fun stuff that you get to do. Um, in a dressage saddle. And so that kind of started my, my fascination with dressage. And she kind of provided the, the base for me at a young age, which was wonderful. And so then from there on, I kind of um, continued. And then a couple of years later, I went to uh, Jan Ebelin. I started my first uh, junior NAYC uh, about a year after riding with him. And then a couple of years after going to the juniors and just starting my young riders, I switched to Adrian. 
And now I've been with Adrian for about two years, two and a half years. And now I have uh, Zayball, Skyman, uh, and Hemingway. And those are my, my three horses that I've been competing. So you, you made the move to Colorado to train with uh, Adrian? Um, yeah, I actually moved out of California once I started training with Adrian. And now we're between uh, Colorado in the summer and uh, Florida in the winter, just because of how, how hot it is in, in Florida. Yeah. It's so hot. <laughs> it was hot when we all left. Yeah. I can't imagine what it's like in the summer. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, so it's not, not even worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about each of your horses. Um, so so Zayball is obviously my my main competition horse. He's a nine-year-old uh, first and ball gelding. He, we've had him since he was seven, and he just started like the fourth level. And for the past two years, it's been kind of a, a journey to slowly bring him up to the levels. Um, we competed in our first pre-St. George, I want to say, last year. And then it's just, he's a really, really loving horse. I mean, he has like two modes. He has like pony sleeping mode and then, you know, hot competitor horse, which I think was really highlighted over this past, um, you know, two competitions. And he's, he's just a so, so willing and such a kind, kind animal. And then I have a, a young one named Skyman. He's just kind of like a very, very hot, um, big moving, uh, warm blood as well. And, um, it's just, just been slowly bringing him up and, and we'll see what the future holds for him. And uh, he's also just been wonderful to learn from. And then another horse I was campaigning in uh, Europe as well was Hemingway. And he's, um, kind of like my secure horse. He's 11 this year and he just has been a great horse just to get a lot of miles in and, and teach me how to you know be really competitive in, in the pre-St. George and Young Rider tests as well. So it's kind of like my three horses to, to compete with. What a great lineup. So tell us a little bit about Young Riders. Uh, there was quite a storm, I think, that went through there, right? I mean, there was a lot of challenges that week. Can you kind of give us a rundown of Young Riders? Yeah, Young Riders, it was it was pretty eventful. We came in from uh, Colorado, of course, trailered in, got settled in with the teams. Every year you have kind of a parade where all the different regions and zones, both in jumping and dressage, kind of parade around, show their flags. It's a great way to see everybody and um, kind of, you know, talk also with other regions and teams as well. And then about the next day we had a kind of freak thunderstorm go through and uh, it produced, I believe like 70 mile an hour winds tore down almost all of our tents that we had in the barn. Um, we luckily had two of our teammates that were staying there uh, watching the horses. Cause I simply, you know, couldn't even drive there. It was just crazy. And it was so bad even that we had uh, the VIP tent, which had a massive like 200 foot tent on top of it was blown over into the dressage arena. All the judges' boxes were blown away. Um, the entire arena was torn up. The main entranceway fell over. It was a, a kind of a pretty crazy situation. That's crazy. So yeah, wasn't competition delayed uh, some time as well for everyone? Yeah. So so luckily, the the show management at Traverse City was was incredible. I mean, they really, within that, that morning and afternoon, managed to clean everything up, but it pushed almost all the competition back to the next day. And so that kind of put a, a bit of a strain on the young rider horses because we had to compete three days back to back to back. Um, usually you have a, you know, a day break in between the team and, and individuals into the freestyle. But we had three days. It was just, you know, it is what it is. And we were able to compete. But, um, you know, the, I, I got to say, it was really the Traverse City Horse Management that did a fantastic job cleaning everything up and making it almost look like nothing ever happened in the first place. That's fantastic. I love it. So what was it like, um, you know, to compete with juniors? I mean, I think that's what's one of the fun things about young riders, correct? Definitely. I mean, it's competing with, with, um, you know, the juniors, 
it, it, I mean, it's the best in North America you hope, you know, you hope to compete with. And um, just being around a lot of juniors and, and young riders as well, but mostly having a, a team environment from your, your region. You know, for us, it's, it's region seven and you're able to compete with four others. Having that team camaraderie and also all the fun events that surround that are, are for me, you know, really make the, the experience so much fun outside of the riding. You know, I think it's like a, a great replication of, you know, the senior events, like going to maybe a, uh, a world equestrian games or, you know, other senior events where you get to be on a team, compete on a team and um, also meet others, which is really, really fun. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of sure. like what NYC in my mind does a great job of, of doing. Yeah. And, you know, as a uh, alumni many years ago at this point, you know, it's, it's so fun because the people that you're on your team with will eventually become professionals with you over time and you become friends and, and compete together for years and years. And one of my fondest memories of young riders for sure. Um, so tell us a little bit about festival. So did you go home in between? Because I mean, home's way West in <laughs> versus Chicago. Yeah, definitely. No, no. So we, <laughs> We stayed in Traverse City, which was really fun, um, yeah. you know, which gave Dave all a light week in between and, and got to see Traverse City a little bit more, which is such a beautiful area. And then after a week, we trailered over to Chicago in, in, uh, at Lamplight and then just uh, got settled back in and kind of moved the circus over and um, <laughs> then started warming up and getting ready for the show. So what was your strategy for kind of keeping your mojo going you know, for an extra week, two weeks or so that, you know, were, you know, back-to-back competitions must not have been easy. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, um, I mean, it, it can be pretty strenuous. I'd say that that week in between, we really made sure, you know, with, with Sable to give him a lot of time just to walk around, hang out. Um, you know, we got to walk around the jumps and hang out with some of the hunter ponies, which was really, really fun. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, lots of hand grazing, getting him moving out of his stall, just keeping his mind, uh, you know, out of the barn and, and just kind of, still being happy and, and enjoying, um, you know, what's going on. I love it. Well, moving to festival, I mean, you really were able to come. It was actually so hot, I'm sure compared to Traverse city. So tell us a little bit about your week at festival. Yeah, it was definitely a, definitely a hot week at festival. Um, it's my first time ever competing at that show. I've, I've always wanted to, to compete and, uh, just the stars never aligned for me over the past couple of years. And so to finally be able to compete at that show was, was, uh, a big goal of mine. And of course it was, it was a quite a hot week. Um, I mean, me personally, I, I kind of knew, you know, a day would come and I have to compete in really hot weather over the summer. So I, um, you know, coming into the show, I did a lot of cardio in the sun and, um, you know, did a bit of running just to make sure that my cardio was, was up to, to stuff for competition, which I definitely think paid off during the weekend. I was able to keep my composure and not get too overheated or anything. Um, and then Lamplight was a dream. It was a really, really fun show. They've all produced two wonderful tests that I was so happy about. Um, set a new personal record for me in the individual. And, um, yeah, it was just all in all. It was American record too, right? I believe so. I'm not it was. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. New American record. And tell us your score. Uh, it was a 75.2, something like that. Around 70 yeah. percent Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> it was so cool. We were all cheering and so excited for you. That was really cool. Uh, we were stabled in, in the tent just down the way from Christian. So it was fun to have him come back and tell us how great he was. Right, right. Uh, I loved it. Oh, that's fantastic. So, so what happens now? What are you doing now after all the, all the excitement this summer? Yeah. Uh, so we're now, I mean, I had a great trip back home for a couple of days and just got to spend some time with some family, which was really wonderful. And now for the fall, it's just kind of getting, um, you know, new goals set up, um, bringing along Skyman is going to be one of the, the bigger goals I personally have. 
and then just kind of seeing what what next year uh, will hold. I'm, I I would love to go into the U25 division. I'm, I'm pretty aware of, of like how big of a jump and and how much I need to learn to get to that division. And so maybe if next year or or the year after, you know, maybe that's something that's in the cards for me. We'll have to see. But it's something I definitely would would like to compete in in the future. I love it. Well, we are so thrilled that we were able to have you on the show and we look forward to watching you as your career continues to grow and you break records. It's fantastic. And we wish you safe travels to Florida soon. Thank you so, so much. The Horsemanship Radio podcast is dedicated to the advancement of great horsemanship throughout the world. Monty Roberts often stops by to present on this podcast, hosted by his daughter and legacy strategist, Debbie Roberts-Lauks. The show includes segments, tips, and interviews exploring effective training centered on the well-being of the horse. This multiple award-winning podcast has 1.6 million downloads to date. Horsemanshipradio.com, sponsored by Hands-On Gloves and Monty Roberts University. Well, tonight it is time for us to do our book review of The Girl with the Dancing Horse by Charlotte Desjardins, and we're very excited to have one of the Horse Radio Network auditors, Andrew, on the line. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found the Horse Radio Network, et cetera. Sure. I'm an older professor of marine chemistry here in San Diego, California, and I'm originally from United Kingdom, sort of, in that I was born in Africa, in Nairobi. Although my parents stayed abroad, I went to boarding school in England for many years, and then they finally moved back in my early 20s. I came to the U.S., to San Diego, in the early 1980s, and have been here ever since, and kind of got into horses. The only time I'd been on a horse prior to that was riding ponies around in uh, the town of Danoon in Scotland as an eight-year-old. But my daughter wanted to ride. And so I said, yes, I'd be happy to take her. And was a classic horse dad helping grooming and all the rest of it. And I thought, I'd really like to try this myself. And so I ended up taking riding lessons and getting interested in horses and looking around for podcasts and found the horse radio podcast and found them very fascinating to follow. And then recognized partway through that it would really be interesting to join the HRN auditors, where the most obvious piece, Facebook page that everybody participates in, or many do. And I did that, and I've never looked back. I've really enjoyed my interactions with people I've never met through that page. And also, of course, the podcast shows themselves. Yeah, I think it's a really cool community that they have over there on the auditor program. And of course, we thank you and all the other auditors for um, becoming part of that and part of our community and supporting the Horse Radio Network. That's just, uh, it's amazing. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I've listened to many things that I've gone, oh, I really should think about trying that. And others where I've gone, oh, I should really never try that. (laughs) My current experience is I started helping a few years ago in exchange for lessons and have been doing that for quite a while, while my daughter was in college and not really riding very much at all. So it was a chance to indulge being around horses for myself in those th- in, over those days. Oh, I love that. I love it that your daughter went to college and you kept the horses going. That's fantastic. I love that. I, I think my parents, uh, similar, they, they still come to the horse shows and, and I love that because it was such a huge part of growing up together. So you may, you must have really enjoyed this book uh, by Charlotte Desjardins because it, 
it did. It talked a lot about her life and her family. So can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the book? I enjoyed it a great deal. It was a very easy read. I began and I felt that it was maybe too easy a read. It was a sort of memoir by Charlotte of her life coming through. But as she spoke and all the parts echoed things and words, I found as somebody from the UK that it was very easy to get into hearing the way people were speaking by the way it was reported in the book. And that helped for me to make it seem all the more real, as though I was imagining myself there in among it, as I might in any other book I was just reading for enjoyment. She grew up and as a a child, always with horses, because her mother liked horses, which is certainly completely different from my own experience, but something that I kind of got into rather late where with myself liking horses because my daughter already liked horses. But it was just fascinating to hear about the efforts and troubles and ways people went through that and to recognize quite how determined a child she had been looking back through those years. So the the line I remember most from those where her mother, she hopes, commenting on her horsemanship, says she's got her brains in her ass, suggesting that she would stay on the horse very straightforwardly, even if it was troublesome. All in all, it was a lot of fun to then see that evolve through working with Carl Hester, essentially as a working student, and then kind of becoming part of the group and ultimately taking over the training and riding of the horse that was barn named Blueberry, whom many of us got to know under the name Vallegro, and hearing about their journey through lower-level competitions right through two separate Olympics almost brought tears to my eyes at moments because it was just so nicely emotional reading through it. Yes, she really brings uh, a heart to to telling her story. And, and I think it's obvious when you see her ride or, you know, her interactions with the media or whatever that she, you know, at, at the heart of it, she really cares for the horses. And she was, you know, brought along in the barn. And as a working student, then then you, you're forming relationships with the horses because you're spending a lot of time with them. And obviously she enjoys that that part of it. And I mean, it's kind of a touching story how she came along and and had to work very hard and was just had a feeling about Vallegro because in my memory when I was you know thinking about this and how it seemed like Charlotte Dujardin and Vallegro just kind of burst on the scene and it's like you know where did they come from and and you know what's her backstory and and all of these things and you know like it felt like she just came on the scene winning 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 you know gold medals and the Olympics and the Europeans and the World Cup but from this book, you realize that she had been very hardworking all the way up into that point and, and really um, got this opportunity to ride this amazing horse. And she w- was probably you know, a bit stubborn and just, I'm just going to work really hard and I'm just going to do it and we're going to make a great partnership. You recognize quite how much she loves them as an individual horse, not just as a means to her own goal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I, I enjoyed that part of the book too, because I happened to be reading it during the Olympics. I was on a little vacation with my family and the Olympics were on. And so I, you know, was watching the Olympics and reading the book and, and it just, I really enjoyed that piece of it and kind of how she spoke of Blueberry, but her other horses, and you could see that she was riding a, a horse named Pumpkin. And so it made her a little more human in a way. And, and I enjoyed that a lot. If all of us in horses, if we sat down and wrote a book, we could make it quite interesting and funny because some of the things that happen, it just, you're, you can imagine, like you said, you were there at that horse show watching this little girl and thinking, okay, that she's going to be literally one of the greatest of all time. You've seen you know, those fragments in yes. your own life. And that, yes. that was how I felt 
going through. And it was particularly, I mean, I, I mean, you know, yes, you played with ponies as a kid. Now forget everything. And then, ah, you were the horse mom, myself, looking at myself there and seeing it from how she was talking about her mother's side of it. And then suddenly I went, just a moment, that hotel in Greenwich is where I've stayed when I've been to Greenwich. And that tying yourself into the whole story, even though it's nothing to do with you, made it to me a really enjoyable and we can't really call it gripping because we know she was winning those things and so although it's told as though she might not win you know that two pages further on she must win because this is a true story and you know how it came out but that doesn't matter it holds your attention right yeah yeah Yeah, no i think think so yeah relatable moments for for all horse people like you said i mean reese and i come from families where our mom is the driving horse force that did the grooming and when charlotte had conflicts with her mom i could relate to that exactly (laughs) and all all those kind of moments and And i think a couple of uh, years later saying please come back i need a group yeah i've had that whole situation you know come full (laughs) Like, like Charlotte did. And so I'm like, oh, I must be Charlotte, right? But exactly. I'm, That's what it conveys. You, got, you look at this and go, wow. You know, you can see it. In some ways, it looks predestined because, as you remarked, this is a very determined young woman. But also, there clearly was a combination of luck and the ability to take advantage of luck that really exactly. gave her the various pieces where clearly not leaving Carl Hester's stable after her initial temporary 10-day stable girl mm-hmm. job was a major piece. Right. Yeah. And I think that's that's important for your, for young riders and trainers to know is sometimes, like anything, relationships go up and down. It's the same with trainers. And they she talks about that. And and you know a little bit about their story. And, and you know, even even now, there's more to the story, right? The, the, the new Olympic Games and the new horses and how their relationship oh, has grown and developed. The last little fragment thinking of is the nickname that Carl Hester gave her of Eddie based on the fact that she couldn't do a sitting trot without yanking around on the horse's mouth as Eddie scissors hands to start <laughs> with and he called her Eddie apparently ever since and now she <laughs> refers to him as granddad granddad yeah it's wonderful um, I think all of us enjoyed the read. We would encourage you to go to horseandriderbooks.com, Trafalgar Square. They do a great job. And Andrew, this is one of the benefits of being an auditor. And we're so thankful you were able to come on the show with us. And we really enjoyed getting to know you as well. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. I love your show. Although I often wish that there were more elementary things on it, which I could myself more permanently benefit from rather than merely enjoy. Got Thank it. Well, so that's much. good feedback. Well, that's great we, feedback. We love it. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. And any any question you got, just uh, send us a message. Thanks, Philip. Well, tonight, as always, one of our favorite monthly guests, Wendy Murdoch, is back on the show. Wendy, how are you? I'm I'm pretty good, actually. Um, If anybody's been you got an owie on your finger, right? Yeah, Uh, and it was a garden injury. It was not horse related at all. (laughs) This is why I don't garden. Yeah, (laughs) it got between a five pound mallet and a wood post. Ah, ooh. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, oh, Wendy. Um, but the stitches will come out the day I leave for safari on the 15th. So I'll be okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Oh, and you're, you're leaving re- on safari. You're ready to ride. Yeah. Yes. Run yep. away from the lions and all of those things effectively. Yeah. That, that's perfect. Yeah. But, um, I was, I'm really glad to talk to you because I saw it popped up. You popped up on my Facebook news feed or whatever the kids call it. Um, <laughs> And you were talking about designing your paddock for your horses 
to uh, to help deal with their um, metabolism issues. Yeah, yeah. So you know, th- this is one of the things that uh, for with COVID, like I stopped traveling, and so I got off the road and I looked at my horses and I was like, "Wow, you guys are fat." Um, and they were, you know, they were, and they were in a field to, it's a two acre field and it was just open to them. And so they would stand in the shed all day and then they, you know, eat all the grass that they wanted. And, you know, even though a lot of horses live in stalls, there's a lot of horses that live out in paddocks and people have the same problem of lack of movement. And, you know, I mean, it's the same thing for us as it is with horses. And actually I've started, I have a three quarter mile loop next to my house and I have been walking a mile and a half every morning now for several months um, because I need movement too. (laughs) So I thought if I'm going to make my horses move more, I need to move more. I'm still struggling with the hay bag part for me, but um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, let us know if you figured that out. I'm I'm game. I I will be your tester. Great. Great. I'll work on that. Um, But anyway, I had heard about these things called pasture paradises, and I've seen some of them. Like when I was over in in, um, the Netherlands, this one place, which was very small acreage, had this really cool setup where they had uh, a a roof-covered area, right, and a gate that was one way, kind of like a turnstile for people. And so once the horses went through it, they had to walk all the way back around to get back to that spot. And then I have another friend who um, actually had one made. There's a company in Germany that makes fantastic pasture paradises, but a little pricey. You know, it actually has um, the horses are microchipped. And when they come in to get their grain, it's a, it's an automatic computer program. It gives them their grain. Nobody can come in and bother them. And then they have to go out and they had several different types of surfaces and things. So, you know, I was thinking. I really need to get my horses moving more. They're getting older. Al's got PPID and, you know, we've been working on his metabolism. And and the number one thing that's going to help the metabolism is movement. Horses are designed to move. And so when we either have them standing in a paddock where all they can do is put their head down and just eat chocolate all day long or in a stall where they're not moving, we're actually deconditioning them. You know, so if you're dealing with an athlete, what we know is you need to keep the athletes moving. And the, the longer they're standing around, the effects it has on their metabolism, on their feet, their overall health. We know all the downside of horses standing around. But how do you get them moving in a simple, easy way? And that's what I was looking for because, you know, I like low-tech stuff. Like my lookup glasses, they're low-tech, right? Um, yeah. I like low-tech. And so, you know, I went online and I had seen when I was in New Zealand years ago, this type of steak. It's called a pigtail. I mean, a lot of people have the yellow electric fence posts and and they're okay i prefer the pigtail because it's metal um it's less likely to bend and it has a little curl at the top so it's super easy to run the electric wire through and and i set up my first one i set up was last summer i set up a spiral and so the idea is that you want to have the the water the hay and the shelter as far apart as possible. So the horses have to move from one place to another because I don't have any gate system. I just have electric fence and I have a shed, I have an area where they eat hay and I have the waterer. And so I created a spiral to the waterer that they had to walk around through, I think two or three rings. But the one thing I learned about that when I set that one up is I thought my horses were smarter than they are. (laughs) (laughs) You can't assume anything. No, no. It took them six months 
to really figure out that they had to walk away from where I was at the gate to come into the barn. They had to walk away from me to follow the spiral to get to me. So that's when I realized either my horses have been in that field for so long that it's such a habit they couldn't figure it out or they just weren't as smart as I gave them credit. But either way, they finally did figure that one out. Um, And one of the things that is a really good idea to do, which I didn't do in my first one, is to put in extra gates for when the horses can't figure it out and it's pouring down rain. So you don't have to go out and walk them back. To the <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> take the extra Oops. time. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So I got exercise because I had to go out and walk the spiral with them and get them started. And then they would finally figure it out and they canter up to the gate, which was great. They got a little, you know, elevated heart rate. But I just really started experimenting with how can I manage my pasture? It's a two-acre field. And, you know, in Virginia here, we had a ton of rain, and then we had drought, and then we had a ton of rain, and now we have the the rich, crab, you know, crabgrass and stuff, and then we'll have the fescue as soon as the frost comes. So, you know, we have these different grasses with different levels of sugar, and how do I manage their movement and their grass consumption? And so this was the solution. And the last one I just put up that Phil's talking about, I... For Joyce, Joyce Harmon is where my horses live at her place. And so I tried to explain to her what I had set up because I was the one who did it and everybody else has to also help with the horses and the gates. So I drew a little map and then I thought, well, that's cool. I'll just put it up on Facebook and let people know what I've done. And I've gotten so many comments on this and people have asked me and I I just use, you know, electric fence posts. I call them pigtails or the ones with the little curl at the top and and tape. And then I build in gates, lots of handles, and then I just build tie backs. So when I open the gate, there's a a stake for me to attach it to so it's not draping on the ground. And the one I designed recently, it has several zones. So if it's um, if it's dry, I can open up more areas. And if it's rainy and they have more grass, I can close off areas. And I've built it so all the gates are closest to the barn the way it's set up. And the most fascinating thing when I did this that I never expected was that during the day, the horses without the fencing would stand in the shed. I mean, I'd come up from to the barn and they'd all be standing in the shed and they'd stand in the shed for hours. But as soon as I put up the electric fence, they stopped standing in the shed. And I can't explain that. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, they were out. They were out moving. And the bugs are the same. It's not like I did, you know, I mean, I do fly predators and manure management and stuff like that to keep the flies down, but it wasn't like I changed anything in that regard. I just simply made it so that there were these areas and they stopped hanging out in the shed. And then like right now, everything's pretty short stem, you know, it's really short grass. So I, I supplement them with hay by closing them off into the shed area and then I'll give them some hay so they get some long stem and that sort of thing um, in their gut. So I bury their their uh, fodder. Um, but it's made such a difference to to managing their weight. You know, I, I have muzzled them, um, but Al, my horse, stopped wanting to put his head in the halter and it was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, have a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you have a choice. I mean, I understand you don't want your muzzle, so that's fine. But then we're just going to have to restrict your grass and have you move more. And that's, you know, um, when there's a lot of grass, I still have to muzzle him because, you know, 
I mean, there's, I just really have to watch his weight. But it's really helped. It's made such a difference in terms of his level of activity, his fitness, his condition, his weight management. And I'll watch them. You know, if I see like, oh, you're looking a little heavy, I might gate it off. I have a two-handled gate that I can run across to block certain areas. But, you know, I mean, it took me, this last arrangement mm, took me about five hours to set up. And I have five different zones and and I'll be able to use that for months and yeah. um, just by changing the gates, which are open and which are closed to have them move around. Um, so has it, has it made a move around in general? Oh yeah. Or? Oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Because cool. if they follow the, one of the paths around, then they want water. Well, they're going to have to walk all the way back. Oh <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're going to have to walk. And so if they I want the shelter. Do. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's just a question of kind of like thinking about how how many steps far away can I make it from the water to the shed to the gate to the hay, right? And at first it takes a little bit of kind of creative thinking. Like I was sitting there going, all right, I'm going to do this new one and what am I going to do? And so I have an outer loop, an inner loop, uh, a loop around the water and then a separate area. And then I actually have another field that I can connect to with another waterer so I can make them walk all the way over to that waterer and have to come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> yeah, I know. I did that last summer, but um, right now I haven't done that because we need to repair. They, they decided to dig up the rocks around the waterer for whatever reason. I don't know. So yeah. We have to fix that waterer. Horses are really destructive. Because they're horses. Because <laughs> they're they horses. Bored, but yeah, I love but it. you've got to, I mean, you kind of build a, a, a labyrinth of sorts. So, that they, yeah, introducing more movement, which is more natural for the horse, obviously, and uh, and has a lot of health benefits if if uh, your horse is a little bit on the chubby side, and they, and you don't like to watch them mow the same piece of grass or or stand in the shed, like you know, that's it's a great idea. Somebody else introduced this to me, and then and then you reminded your your post reminded me, and I thought, hey, I'll, let's talk to Wendy about that, and that you know could be a, a great idea for. You know, lots of people who have a little bit of a, a bigger paddock and their horse is out, you know, whether it's an entire day or entire night or 24-7, I, I, I think this is great for horses. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you can even do it on small acreage. Um, there's a, a facility called uh, Misty Meadows Equine Learning Center on Martha's Vineyard, and they have small paddocks, but all they did was make a square with the electric fence so the horses couldn't walk across. They have to walk around the perimeter and that's made a difference. So, mm -hmm. you know, oh, the, you the, yeah. yeah, the thing that's fascinating is it doesn't have to be elaborate or complicated or really expensive. It's really just about being creative and kind sure. of thinking about, you know, how can I just limit them? And at one point I just did a line. I just, it wasn't even a block off. It was just a line extending from the, from the shed that they had to walk around and that changed their behavior. So it's really kind of fascinating to see that if you just, um, it's kind of like putting a rock between you and the refrigerator. <laughs> I need a yeah. big rock. Yeah. yeah. But you know, anything <laughs> big that diverts your path where you couldn't then get distracted and go a different direction. It's really, it, I was surprised at how little it took to make how big a change. That's yeah. what was so fascinating huh. um, and, and not expensive and not difficult and not even, um, you know, you can do it on small, small space. Cause that's what I saw at Misty. I was really surprised. They just 
basically they made it like about an eight foot path around the perimeter on the inside of the perimeter of the paddock and the horses move more. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it's it. Really well, cool. we need, we, we always love it because you have the coolest ideas and, and things on your website. And I really am excited because next month we're going to hear about your safari, which I cannot wait. <laughs> and I want pictures. But I know. I was like, I'm going to have to paint pictures on, on air because oh. we have no visuals. But that's okay. I can do that. You can do that. If anybody can do do it, you can do it. We cannot (laughs) wait. So, Wendy, how can everybody find you online, find more information about Surefoot and all the awesome toys that you have as well? So, um, MurdochMethod.com, that's M-U-R-D-O-C-H-M-E-T-H-O-D, because some people spell it with a K. It doesn't work. But MurdochMethod.com is my website. Um, If they want to learn all about Surefoot, they can go to SurefootEquine.com. And, of course, on Facebook and Instagram, it's the same thing, MurdochMethod or Surefoot. And, um, and just remember my YouTube channel, I actually, I've been meaning to put out a post with the best ofs from the webinars. We've done 239 webinars with Wendy. I know. And we're going to pick it up again when I get back. And so they can go out there and catch up on their webinars. We have some fantastic webinars on saddles, English saddles, Western saddles, uh, hoof care, um, you know, holistic medicine, some really nifty ones on fascia, and just lots of really cool stuff. And, and by the way, Apparently, my um, Wendy's Winnie's, which is what I call my podcast on, or is my podcast on Apple, is now on Amazon and Audible. So Wendy's Winnie's is the oh, is cool. the the podcast version of the webinars. Yeah, we we continue to put them up. They're not all there yet, but we keep, we put like three more a week up on the podcast. Yeah, fabulous. So you can listen to them. Oh, we love it. Very cool. We didn't know you were doing podcasting too, Wendy. You're amazing. <laughs> it's just the audio from the webinars. It's not like I do separate stuff. But but yeah, because so many people were driving their cars with YouTube running on yeah. their phone <laughs> that I was that's like, bad. yeah, that's I gotta, bad. I got to get the <laughs> audio up as podcast yeah. to keep people safe. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Good idea. I love it. Well, Wendy, you have safe travels. And seriously, I cannot wait to hear all about the safari. I, I want to book my ticket for the next one. So it's amazing. All right. Have a great time. Thanks. And you guys take care until I see you again. Well, Phil, I know we're both showing this weekend and I'm not going to lie, cleaning some tack today, uh, oiling. I always like to oil the saddles and get everything ready. Uh, it's sort of my routine. And uh, you know, I just want to say how much I love those stability stirrup leathers and how, I mean, I've been riding pretty hard recently. Everybody, can, everybody knows. And mine look great. I love these stirrup leathers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great how, you know, the leather is so soft, but I, on the other hand, it's not wearing and tearing. And mm-hmm. so uh, I, don't, I don't know how Justin sources these products and, and how he gets them made so well, but uh, kudos to him, kudos to the team from uh, Total Saddle Fit. So all the products are awesome. Go, go check it out at totalsaddlefit.com. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, Phil, you've got a fantastic Total Saddle Fit tip of the week for us, or we're going to talk through it. This is for one of our listeners. So what you got for us? Um, so we got an email, and this uh, is basic, generally just talking about the, the tightness of the noseband. I should talk about this because... Uh, we kind of had a pilot program going on in Canada at our competitions, and you know, 
Um, talking about noseband tightness, uh, the FEI has been discussing it. Different um, different nations are are trying to implement strategies in measuring noseband tightness, and so. Um, the stewards at the shows, we, I didn't talk about this with you, but uh, the mm-hmm. stewards at the shows have a little device that they've sourced from Norway or Sweden that they're that they're using there to to measure noseband tightness because the, the problem like the stewards have always checked noseband tightness, but there's no real way of saying your your noseband is too tight and someone else's is not you know is is not too tight and you know so, this little gadget is uh, its kind of a wedge shape, and then the stewards put it underneath the noseband at the bony point, so right right when the mm-hmm. horse is facing you. So that, so if, if they can get that the little wedge in, you're good, and if they can't, you're not good. So this is just a pro- pilot program, so they were just looking for feedback from competitors and, and, and whatever. But uh, I think this is moving forward with all nations and the FEI. You know, if if they can come up with a way of measuring the the noseband tightness, so I, I just thought this was a really appropriate topic, and and wanted to wanted just to hear your thoughts on this stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I think things in bridle bit fitting, noseband fitting, it really has grown and developed. I would even say when, for the last five years, oh, where. Absolutely. It, it's a totally different world than when Philip and I started as professional riders. So one of the things that I do now is I have every single horse that I train on on some level have a bit fitting and a bridle fitting because, and the other thing is I also make sure and I'm really stay up to date on dental work. And we have had Dr. Brad Tanner on the show before, but I'm so lucky he's a board certified dentist. He is, you know, 10 minutes down the street from me. And if I have any extra questions, I always have him come. Uh, For example, I had a horse that ended up having some significant mouth issues. He was really funny with his tongue. We had done the bit fitting. We'd done the bridle fitting. I had asked the owners, you know, if they had his teeth looked at, they said, yeah, we have. But I was like, something's not right with this horse. So uh, we did some more investigation. And, you know, so I, I was able to to call in Dr. Tanner. And one of the things with that horse was he got worse and worse, the tighter the noseband was. Um, I have had horses that do need a more snug noseband. Um, I certainly have seen nosebands super, super tight. I'm, I'm, I don't think that's um, how they should be, but I do think it's important to have a bit that fits, a noseband that fits. There are all kinds of different nosebands now. Some horses just like different fits. You know, we know now that, you know, the, the facial nerves come down and some horses are super specific about certain ones, uh, and they like them or they don't like them. So I think that there's a lot more resources in this department. It used to be, you know, when, when you and I were kids, you know, 20 years ago, we pretty much ride everybody in the same bit and the same bridle. And there wasn't a lot of shifting around. There wasn't a lot of changing around. So I think that that really has developed, wouldn't you say, in the last last bit? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the science is evolving, and the the options of of bits are phenomenal mm-hmm. and, and can really help horses. Um, you know, as a general rule, when when I talk about um, noseband tightness and and this kind of thing, I try to tell people that it should be snug like you're doing up your watch on your arm 
So not not sliding up and down and whatever, but just giving just giving a little um, firmness to the mouth. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I say a belt. Uh, yeah, or same a, kind a belt. of concept. Yeah. Like yeah. Your, your belt, yeah. like it needs to be firm because if it's not firm, your pants, you know, it's not going to do its job if it's too right. loose. It's same like a watch. Like your watches don't are... like that either. Yeah, watches don't like that either. So. Uh, with this pilot program, they were talking about being able to fit uh, a pinky finger between the nose band and uh, and the horse's bony part on on the front of their nose. Okay. So not not like a loose way, like you know, like like I said, this device was uh, wedge shaped, so they just you know kind of slide it in, and they're like, okay, yeah, I can get you know I can get that in, and then you know easily in without pushing on it or hitting it with a hammer or something like that, but just yeah. they can slide it in, they slide it out, and then you know you're good. But uh, yeah, the diff- different nations are are sort of deciding where they're going to do their measurement. You know, and my horses were good. Like it's fine. I I always think like if your horse is trying to evade the bit, then you need to be looking for a different bit or or like you said with a dentist because there, no matter how tight you can physically um, tighten the noseband, the horse is uncomfortable. And that's the issue you should be solving, not like, let's see how, you know, let's let's get more devices on how to tighten this noseband harder and harder and harder. Like the horse is unhappy. So try to try to solve that issue. But again, if you're if you've got your noseband so loose that it's not doing a job, well, why have it? You know, right. wear it. it's got to kind of do its job without without interfering with nerves and muscles and, and, and all of that. So yeah, it's, it's well, tough, you know, every horse it, it is, is a little bit tough. different. And I think too, with nose bands, bridles are designed. I think my biggest pet peeve is a nose band that's designed to have a flash without the flash on it and just the loop hanging down. I, <laughs> I don't like that. I'm not a fan. That bridle was designed to have a flash, right? And if you're not going to have a flash, you need to go to a different type of nose band. In my opinion, I like drop nose bands. I have a lot of horses that go on really old school drop nose bands. They don't hit the facial nerves. They're they're quite good. Um, so I'll switch horses to that. You know, I think again, it, you really have to look around and see sort of what your horse's confirmation is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Lots of resources now online for this too. Yeah, and to make sure that the that the bridle is big enough. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I see lots of horses in two small nosebands that they don't even reach across the all the way across, and then and then you know they kind of shift up towards the horse's eyes or or whatever, so they're just sitting in the wrong place because yep. because the bridle doesn't fit. And the other thing I, I like to do is you know if I have a horse that's a little fussy or or a little problematic, I just go out and buy more padding. You you can put more yeah. padding on lots of padding, chain, yes, or you can put more padding across the nose. I mean, the nose, they sell, yep. They sell all these awesome extra products and yeah and that honestly like top horses of mine have always had a nose piece that piece really is nice because it really makes the the whole pressure equal around and the horses a lot of times like that much more so you want to distribute the pressure evenly mm -hmm. over more surface area i think that's a no-brainer um you know and 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 of course, all horses are individuals, and and you've got to sort of mix and match and play around for a while to to find the right one. But I think mm-hmm. the answer of just like just letting the noseband loose and letting your horse, you know, lots of horses evade the bit early in their career, like three and four years old, by just opening their mouth, and that's not good either. No, that's they, bad too. Oh. 
adopt that, right? So, yeah. you know, in those situations, three, you know, three and four-year-olds, you have to be working with a trainer, absolutely, you know, to tell you to, you know, to put you on the right track. But again, yeah. like putting your foot on the horse's head and cranking that noseband is also not the right way. So we try to provide a little bit of guidance of, you know, if it seems too tight, it, it might, it might Probably. be, you know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah that's bad to too. Say. I mean, too, too tight, too loose. I mean, again, think the watch analogy, think of the belt analogy. I think those are very good. And then also just, just think of your horse's fit, uh, you know, but there are some horses that do like a more snug, like some people like a belt more snug. Um, some that like a loser, it just, it, you have to play around with it. And, uh, we're constantly playing with bits and, uh, I'm constantly in contact with, with a bit fitter to ask her questions and learn more. And there, there's just more and more information out a lot now. And so just seek it out, ask for some help. And I bet you there is also a bit fitter that comes to your area. A lot of them now are doing FaceTime consultations or, you know, Skype consultations if you can't get to somebody. So the resources are out there, but yeah, it's hard to make a blanket statement on it, but it's definitely something that we are constantly, I mean, I talked to Phil about it, you know, like, Hey, what do you think? Would you, would you try? Um, so you, sometimes you have to tinker around with it. And then once the horse is fine, what they like, they usually are like, Oh yeah, this is great. And they're quiet and, and like it. And so. off you go. Yeah. And then you and off you go. About it. Yeah. yeah. Well, really fun discussion, Phil. We could, we could go on for an hour. This is great. What I would call, you know, sitting by the fire, uh, talk. We can, trainers can talk about bits and fittings and bridles all night, but, um, that was awesome. So great tip. And as always feel free to send us emails and Facebook shout outs. We like them all the time for our total saddle fit tip of the week. So keep them coming. Well, as always, everybody, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. The best way to find me is probably through Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a good show. That's Kentucky Performance Products. Total Saddle Fit, and the Murdoch Method. Don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will talk to you next week. 